0: Listening to the Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White.
1: Welcome to the Cooler Ring, a podcast for manufacturing marketers, brought to you by Cooler Partners. I'm Jeff White, and joining me today is Carmen Perry. Carmen, how are you, sir? Well, you
2: know, Jeff, I'm doing pretty well, but I've got a uh, maybe I have to warn our listeners today a bit because I've got this like kind of rite of passage into winter uh, is that you need to get a hacking cough at some <laughs> point. Uh, so. Uh, if I hack in people's ears throughout this, I we'll remove it in it. post. Yeah, no man, it might be a real challenge, but okay, okay, we'll stick with <laughs> that.
1: It's, it's, I'm sure you'll, I'm sure you'll be all right. But it's
2: good. I, I mean, I, I should. Um, I don't know. Maybe I maybe it gives me a better radio voice or something.
1: Well, you're building immunity for the rest of the winter. Yeah, I think yeah. that's, that's Herd generally how it's going to be important here. In <laughs> yeah, the exactly. Office. Have you gotten your flu shot yet? Uh,
2: I haven't. I, I'm always weirded out by the flu shot. Not that I think it doesn't work or anything, but it seems like in the last three or four years, about a week or two after you get it, you start seeing all these news reports that they like got the strain guess wrong this year. <laughs> Oh, yeah, all that stuff that we injected you with was not actually it's the strain. so it's not actually protecting. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't want to be labeled an anti-vaxxer, so no, I, I'll, no. go, I'll go get one.
1: Yeah, very go very good. One. Yeah, no, I think that's probably the way to go. <laughs> well,
2: now that we've taken care of my health, maybe we can introduce our guest and talk about something interesting uh, for marketers. I, I think
1: that's probably a better choice, yeah.
2: So joining us today is Daniel Engelbretson. Daniel is the Director
1: of Growth Marketing and Demand Generation at Phenonic. Welcome to the Cooler Ring, Daniel. Hey, guys, I'm glad to be here. Have you gotten your flu shot yet, Dan? I have not, but my kids have, so I'm almost there. Yeah, exactly. Mine have as well, and I consider that, you know, next best thing at this <laughs> point. So
2: it's like you can live vicariously with <laughs> flu shots. Maybe I, I, mean, I need a kid just so I can do this.
1: I, I think you,
2: you could. Yeah. So I don't know.
3: <laughs> so i can pretend to be responsible (laughs) exactly
1: exactly
2: daniel it's wonderful to have you on the podcast today uh let's get things kicked under uh, kicked off here with just uh, telling our our listeners a bit about uh, who you are and what you do at, at fanonic
3: sure um so again my name is daniel and i help fanonic run its marketing campaigns um uh, generally speaking, I own the technology stack that we use and the process that we use to design campaigns, and then the actual execution of those campaigns. So, in a lot of ways, I uh, spend most of my time interfacing with various business partners across the different uh, business units. From we we organize by vertical, by product group, and then also a fair amount of time with our sales partners, helping to understand. Well, basically, what's possible in the world of demand generation and of what's possible, which things should we be doing to try to hit our, our campaign objectives? So that's a lot of what I'm up to on a, on a day-to-day basis. You
2: are uh, perhaps, uh, Daniel, a master of understatement. Um, <laughs> when I looked at your LinkedIn profile and I looked at the track record of demand gen and ABM success that you have, um, it, you know, to just start by saying, I, I help uh, run marketing campaigns <laughs> is uh, <laughs> about as understated as I think you could get. Um, why don't, uh, look, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's uh, kind of start looking into this playbook a bit because you have had a, a huge amount of success. Well, perhaps before we do that, can you let our listeners know some of the even previous companies that you worked with and tell us a bit about Phenonic because I, I think your track record here is pretty phenomenal,
3: actually. Sure. Um uh... I got my first job out of school uh, on a recommendation from a from a college professor, and I worked for the CEO of a test and measurement company that. They distribute uh, like weigh equipment and measuring equipment, but also did a fair amount of, of, of measurement services for people like BMW and Mercedes. So I spent a lot of time early on selling to and marketing to lots of manufacturers. A lot I think that that job almost is like how it's made. I used to go into four or five, six factories a week and just see all kinds of stuff, touring around the plants with the quality guys and understanding what their quality problems were and then and then helping to translate that into services that we could provide for them. So that's how I got started. And my job at the beginning was really I had 10, 10 field sales account manager types working for me and then one marketer. And so I used to ride around with salespeople all the time uh, making these sales calls and understanding what the customers were looking for, which I think is a lot of what has shaped my my view on demand gen today because I, I was... I started out by, you know, feeling from the salesperson's perspective, what was the result of, of what we were doing from a marketing perspective. So from that, I got, uh, pulled into a role at Danaher, one of their operating companies, uh, called Gilbarco Vita Root. And they're the largest, uh, convenience store equipment manufacturer in the world, selling exciting things like gas pumps and point of sale machines. But, uh, <clears throat> I was able to apply a lot of what I, had learned from working in the field to interfacing with our distributor partners um, as we were generating leads and routing them to our distributors. My job at, at that company was was almost entirely driving demand for our channel. And Gilbargo had about 80 distributors that we were doing that for. So I got pulled in to start that function up. And it it started as a uh, as a kind of top-down initiative they called transformative marketing, where they were trying to transformed the way their businesses went to market digitally. So there's a lot of pay-per-click and SEO when I got started and that kind of morphed into lead generation, which morphed into demand generation more, more broadly. By the time I left that role, we, I had about 16 people working for me and, uh, the company split off and, uh, and my boss and my boss's boss left. And I followed my boss's boss down to Acuity Brands in Atlanta. And at Acuity, it was a, a similar scenario, a large uh, manufacturer. Uh, they're, they're the largest lighting manufacturer in the world. And um, the difference between them and Danaher, most notably, was they execute everything centrally, where Danaher was very de- decentralized and each operating company did its own thing. So I got pulled in at Acuity to uh, basically transform their legacy, what they called interactive and creative services team, into a modernized functioning shared services demand generation team if you will where i owned the people responsible for <clears throat> for the website the marketing automation the the uh the demand gen operations the creative services team and it was basically an internal agency executing demand gen for the business uh, about they had about 100 marketers in whole and um so I did that for a little while and I learned quite a bit about, uh, well, I, I, expanded a lot on process and efficiency and learned a lot about executing at scale. And, uh, one of the guys who brought me in there took a role as CMO at Phononic and called me up and we were talking and I asked him about, uh, you know about whether whether it be a fit for me, and and I was interested in moving to Phononic because right about the time this happened, I had started learning about account based marketing, and uh, as a demand generator who'd been driving demand for a long time, I was very familiar with the marketing technology and the and the challenges inherent in in the different processes. And when I ran across uh, ABM, it it felt like. Uh, it felt a little bit magical to me to be totally honest. and uh, and so what drew me to moving from massive manufacturing to startup phononic was the idea of basically eliminating the red tape and jumping in hard on ABM to really learn ABM. I joke with my with my boss. I wanted to get a masters of ABM. and that's that's really what I've been up to in the last two years. So at Phenonic, uh, when I started here uh, a little over two years ago, they didn't have a marketing organization, so to speak, uh, when I started. And uh, my boss was actually the first um, marketing leader they, they had hired. And Phenonic had spent a few years uh, exploring the technology that we call solid state, solid state cooling. And then they spent a few years exploring how to commercialize that. And right about time they finished that and started actually selling finished goods is when they started up their marketing function. So I came in to get the arms around how we wanted to drive demand for the finished goods and also um, to help basically upgrade the, the marketing infrastructure and the website and things like that to to be able to perform. So today, uh, Phononic cells uh, basically make chips. They look like they, they you can sit one on the tip of your finger, and one side gets hot and one side gets cold, and it's based on thermoelectrics. And um, And we put those chips into all kinds of devices. They go in these little cartridges, and they can heat or cool a bed or a fan or a kegerator or a refrigerator or a laser transceiver. And so there's lots of different applications we're hunting for and some of them get fairly niche, which is why it was a good fit for ABM.
2: Man, you um, you know you talking to a couple agency guys when you say kegerator and our eyes light up. <laughs> uh, <it's> terrible. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, so thank you for, for taking us uh, through that background a bit. I think it really helps put um, your experience and frankly this Masters of ABM into some level of uh, uh, context. Um, let's kind of get into the masters of abm uh, i like that i, I, I kind of we've got like 20 minutes left in this podcast so we're going to try to get your two-year master's program condensed <laughs> into uh the daniel led 20 minute uh, overview so um what has that masters of abm look like what have you learned what have been your key takeaways as you've kind of explored this with fanatic
3: when as a, as a marketer who has been driving demand for large sales teams, and oftentimes channel partners, uh, as you find a lot of times in manufacturing. One of the big challenges uh, that I've I've run into in my career is how do you make sure that the leads that you generate are leads that sales actually wants? And that, that, I think, at the root of it is the magic of ABL is generating leads that your partners, your sales partners and channel partners actually want. And so coming into Phononic and taking the time to understand what are the segments, what are the, what are the ideal customers look like? How do we, how do we find and identify them and market directly to them and cutting through the noise of, of traditional lead gen where you have lots of volume coming through and lots of leads going to sales and maybe only 20% of them or 30% of them get followed up and moving to a model where 100% of what you're generating is is actionable to sales. That was a big part of, of the transition for me. But then also, you know, if I learned anything at Danaher, it was about lean, being lean and, uh, and paying attention to cost out and, and continuous improvement. And there's, in my opinion, there's no more efficient approach to demand gen than account based marketing, because basically what you're doing is you're you're saying I'm only going to market to the right people with the right message at the right time you know, and everything that I do is going to be something that I know is going to get followed up on. And so you save a lot of time, energy, and money by cutting out the noise and spending your dollars only on what you want. So that was, that was really, I guess that's kind of the the foundation of the, of the thinking. And then it kind of evolves from there.
2: Yeah. I've been on this rant lately about how the funnel is completely flawed and, um, and funnel thinking leads us down these very atrocious routes that um, end up with, I was chatting with a, um, a marketer a month or so ago who, who disclosed that their MQL to SQL rate was 2%. So they're doing all this great demand gen work and people are being rewarded for hitting MQL targets. Meanwhile, to your point, the salespeople don't care about those leads. They don't want them. They're not getting the right people in the hoop. Um uh, so the promise of ABM is um, is something that I think a lot of people are hungry for, but not everybody has actually been able to implement or to action in a meaningful way. Um, how many uh, when you when you when you are talking ABM, what's your kind of target account universe from a numbers perspective? What are, are we are we talking in the one thousand to ten thousand range, ten 000 to twenty five thousand? Are we under that? Word? talk to me a bit.
3: Yeah, it really it really varies by by vertical and the total dressable market in those verticals. And most of my experience at Phenonic has been in three verticals: our optoelectronics, which is the laser transceivers for datacom and telecom; our life science healthcare, which is selling medical grade refrigerators to hospitals, basically; and in our retail segment, which is selling. Uh, we have a, a countertop point of sale freezer uh, that we sell into retail environments so in the in the war- i
2: know that Thinking about it for a wine store buddy of mine, a guy that runs a <laughs> wine store. I'm going to send him your gear after this podcast. It's really cool, but anyway, I digress. Oh yeah, yeah. Let me know, and
3: we have a pretty interesting AR app if he wants to see it sitting on the countertop. Uh, so you know, it, it, in optoelectronics, there when we started, we thought there was about 40 accounts. So the world of uh, uh, engagement was 40. As we got into it, we learned there were, they were closer to to 90 accounts. that took us a while to figure out. So the campaign we would run there or that we are running there is two tiers there's about 15 accounts in the tier 1 and the remainder in in tier 2 of the 90 and and that's that's what we we've been running with and um and that's actually an excellent use case for ABM you know when you have a small TAM and you need to win a large percentage of it um being as relevant as possible when you are doing your marketing uh, to those accounts is going to, is always going to improve your your likelihood of converting it, and also putting in place kind of the the listening and the structure to to pay attention to what's going on at those accounts helps your your win rate. So that that campaign, the tier one campaign, uh, you you had referenced digging around on on LinkedIn, that was actually the campaign that we won uh, an interesting award with from Demand Gen Report. We achieved a hundred percent win rate in that tier one campaign over 10 months. And that was absolutely part of what makes ABM awesome. But moving out of, out of that, you know, life sciences, there's about 6,500 hospitals. When we were breaking down the targeting, uh, I'll, I'll jump to the end. They, they map back to what's called IDNs, Integrated Delivery Networks. And there were about 65 that we were targeting, which represented about 2,200 hospitals. So, you know, from an account perspective, we were organizing it by IDN. But from a like physical location perspective, that was the 2200. And then in, in food and beverage, we have many different sub verticals that we get into. But most of the all of the campaigns that we're running right now are tier one and tier two structured. And usually there's 20 or 30 tier ones. And then there are maybe 150 or 200 tier twos.
0: Slash sample ABM.
2: So I want to kind of unpack this tier one campaign that we yeah. won all the awards for. Um, and uh, uh I mean, we cannot just let a hundred percent win rate uh, <laughs> go, go unnoticed t- yeah. <laughs> yeah. so um, uh, can you give us the anatomy of that uh campaign a bit and let us uh, uh give us a look under the hood, if you will? Yeah, yeah, so
1: um.
3: Uh, Maybe not for everybody, but for me, the foundational tactic uh, in ABM uh, that's that's most different from what you might be doing in traditional demand gen is the account-based uh, programmatic display, where you're serving ads to specific roles at specific accounts um, in a fairly controlled way, which is a big way you save you save on your costs as well. And so, all of our campaigns, including this one, uh, include account-based display. We leverage uh, Terminus ABM, and we we start out the campaigns by um, by running ads. And and actually, I should take a step back and and just talk more fundamentally. When we start a campaign, there's a campaign brief that basically lays out. Here's who we're going to target. Here's what we're going to say. Here's the timeline we're going to do it in. Here's the metrics for this campaign that we need to hit in terms of you know how many accounts are we targeting, engaging, activating, converting, etc. And then uh, then we get sign off with our sales partners that those metrics make sense. Those are the people we're going to target. This is the message we're going to run. Then we do a buyer journey process where we map we we map through using a visio basically the pers- the customer's perspective of each role type that we're trying to engage with. And there might be two or three roles we're trying to engage. And we go through awareness preference or awareness education, preference intent, and map out what do we think they're thinking about and how do we think our, our product solves that for them. And then we also do that with our sales partners, run through that, make sure sales is like, yeah, my customers actually think like this. And from that, it shakes out the content that we're gonna create. And so we don't create any content that doesn't map back to that, whether it's an infographic or a case study or a testimony or whatever, it all maps back to the buyer journey. Nothing gets created outside of the buyer journey. But in doing that with and partnering with sales to get all that right, that's what informs those ads that I was uh, speaking about You know, in the awareness stage. So we typically run the awareness ads using a uh, programmatic account-based display. And those will run for a period of time. And uh, to shortcut it for you, we looked at this uh, quarter over quarter for a couple years now. And we were trying to identify at what point uh, after seeing our ads, uh, is there a threshold achieved where we should start uh, engaging with other tactics? And so the, the idea is get the ads in front of the audience that you're trying to hit and we do tailor the ads let's say we're targeting purchasing and engineering well purchasing we'll see one ad and engineering we'll see a different ad or let's say we really need to get into purchasing in this account and not engineering in that account uh well then you can dial up your spend for this department and dial down your spend for the other department and really influence which departments you're trying to engage with and in the case of uh, the campaign the Opto electronics campaign One of the challenges we were also trying to solve is we have this geographic location, but not that geographic location. So we can even um, dial up and dial down by where they're physically located as well. So we'll run those ads uh, for a period of time. And we look for a threshold of engagement with those ads. And that threshold typically... Uh, well, it's always measured in, in impressions when we're doing the thresholds or, or when we're comparing the thresholds, it's measured in impressions. How many impressions have to be delivered before the threshold is achieved? But what we're looking for in aden- identifying the threshold is how many unique people are engaging? How long are they engaging? How many times are they engaging with our content? And once you get over that threshold, which the last time we did it, I think it was like 6,900 impressions or something like that at the account, there's massive improvements in the engagement at that account. And then we layer other tactics. And so uh, generally speaking, the campaigns also layer uh, personalized email, which will, will fire off at these uh, at these contacts at these accounts. And then uh, from that, we're listening and looking for spikes in engagement, which will then layer other tactics on top of from uh, engaging a more proactive engagement. So, and some of our verticals will use outbound calling. And this particular vertical, we have a field sales team that's, that's doing a lot of work. And a lot of these accounts are actually in Asia. So some of the taxes we use in the U.S. don't work. And so uh, once you're doing that and you're paying attention to some of the other things that we're, we're changing are uh, we will we will use. If like, for example, in the Asia scenario where we can't get them with a cookie based, we use IP targeting to, to target IPs with the ads. And then we also use retargeting where once they've engaged with our ads and come to our site, we will follow them around on the Internet with educational content. So we start with the awareness content then we move to the educational because we know they've seen our message. And we've done, especially in this particular campaign, a number of webinars that are very technical in nature. It's a very technical audience, and so we will uh, package those up and use them to basically inform uh, our audience on what makes our solution unique. And and to be fair for the for the win rate, we do have a very competitive value prop, and it's fairly unique, and it's 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 it's, it's a very strong value prop. So that that certainly helps in, in, in the converting. But um, so we ran that for a period of time. And uh, in the first four months of doing this kind of cascaded test tactic thing and and looking for engagement, one of the big things we were doing was looking at tactics that Fanatic had used in the past, like webinars, and then firing them off uh, in the context of ABM and using some account targeting and account messaging to just see what the change in performance in terms of attendance and in terms of um, like converting people out of that uh, on the back end. And we saw a big lift. Uh, off the top of my head, I want to say it was like a forty-seven percent lift in in engagement um, when when targeting those tactics at specific accounts versus just more broadly. So as we learned from that and and uh, and saw some results from that, we then um, we started down the path of really paying attention to much more carefully, which 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 departments needed messaging, but also what was different from account to account that needed messaging. So over time, uh, I would say probably about six months into that, we moved over to to one to one messaging where we started running all the ads in a one to one way. So what I mean is we were actually putting the target account logos into the ad or the name of the account into the ad or we would put, and or we would put onto the landing page they're clicking through to something that was specific to, to that, uh, account. So we would work with our sales partners and they would say at this account, this is the key topic. This is a key differentiator. This is the key message that I need to get in front of them. And so as we were learning that from the sales team on an ongoing basis, we were tailoring what we were saying to the accounts and how we were saying it to the accounts and also which departments we were saying uh, it to and the accounts. So over the um, the course of, I guess about 10 months is how long that, that campaign we're referencing uh, ran. Um, there were also some physical events like trade shows peppered in that, that we, we leveraged account based to engage the accounts ahead of time and try to set appointments at the show for the sales team. Um, so we did a lot of messaging to to grab people to at the show and to meet with us, uh, and then we did a lot of post show follow up that was very account based as well. So there's a I mean over a ten month period, the same kinds of tactics you would expect in a in a demand gen campaign we use in a, an account based campaign. The difference is in the collaboration with sales and in the degree of resolution you get into the targeting and the understanding of what's happening at the account level.
2: And I wonder. Um, I'm assuming that that level of personalization and com- company specificity is somewhat the difference between your tier one and tier two approaches. I'm not sure. Um, but I'm curious how how much more successful the campaigns have been as you got that focus, as you started, like you say, using the logos from your target accounts in the actual ads that you're showing to them or what have
3: you. Oh yeah, that's a great question. I don't, I don't have it in front of me, so I'm not going to get it totally right. But we absolutely watch that very closely. Not only did we move from uh, static uh, to animated, uh, but we also moved from uh, one like one to many to one to one, and tested all of that along the way. And off the top of my head, in in the entire year one, uh, I want to say that our 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 overall click through rate. Um, these ad, these initial ads was something like 0.4%. And by the end of the last campaign we just measured this on, our click-through rate for animated one-to-one ads was 6.5%. So it went from half a percent to 6.5%. That's astonishing.
1: And those are display ads, which typically... Have, you you can get thousands a thousandths of a, can't six and a
2: half percent. You uh, can get 6.5% click-through on a, on a display ad. Never mind
3: Yeah, Yeah. it's insane. Yeah, I I have it fairly well documented. And actually the team at Terminus uh, was the team that helped me identify that initially, um, helping me to basically crunch all that and figure out what the right... uh, Some of the other things we learned along the way were that we're also in the the cadence at which we released the ads. So for example, we learned to release them every three weeks, uh, a new set. And one of the things we started doing was Instead of just running one set of ads, we always ran two sets of ads. And then at the end of the three weeks, whichever one was not performing better dropped off and we put a new one in. And so we st- we, there was a lot that we did around uh, optimizing the ads and also optimizing the type of ad and the timing of the ad. And ABM is not all about ads, but uh, it, as you move, as you move towards ABM, some of the traditional stuff like outbound email, where you've got you know maybe ten thousand email addresses, and you're trying to crunch that list, and you get a ten percent open rate and a two percent click rate, you know those types of things go away, and you replace them with things like outbound advertising. In my perspect, from my perspective, because you're still sending a message to a target pers- a target role at a target account, with with a very targeted like goal in mind. And what used to be the subject line in your email campaign is now the the wording in your ad, and instead of interrupting them in your inbox, you're passively marketing to them wherever they are on the internet. And so, you know, there's there's all kinds of nuance in there, but uh, but that's that was that was kind of the initial indication uh, of what the effect of what we were doing, but then we were also measuring things like, uh, like click rates and open rates on emails or like the success of setting an appointment on the phone with and without running the the personalized ads. And I think the, the key in there is not just the ad, but also the threshold of engagement that you're looking for with those ads to, to signify that, Oh, it's time to, it's time to launch these other tactics. So, Um, it was it was a very interesting thing to learn
2: yeah you get the uh, question almost out of my mouth there because that was the next question is do you (laughs) you know what's the what's the lift in engagement that you've had with the email with your outbound calling even with field sales being able to get appointments through the door um after that threshold of engagement and so so do you you have a sense of that lift
3: yeah yeah so so we actually we we did test it um specifically um and I'm gonna I'm gonna do this off the top of my head, but I want to say that the success rate in setting the appointment on the phone for accounts that were prior previously engaged in the in the ABM display way versus weren't was a was something like a 36% lift. So when making the cold dial into the account, although it's not entirely cold because you're listening to what they're doing, but when making the dial into the into the account and trying to set the appointment, the accounts that we engage with the ads. Versus the accounts that we didn't engage with the ads, the ones that were engaged with the ads and met that threshold, we were 36% more likely to get a appointment booked uh, on the phone,
1: and that was
2: that's the kind of lift that makes somebody actually a little excited about picking up the phone and making some calls. You know, <laughs> um,
1: yeah, were, were you finding that uh, when you were getting people on the phone that they were like legitimately recognizing who was calling? Yeah, they
2: connecting the dots.
1: So that's a great question. And that's absolutely what we're
3: hunting for. Like whether they connect the dot or it's subliminal, that was absolutely what I was hunting for. And, and in that particular experiment, we didn't, I didn't get a feel for whether they actually like, whether they were telling us they connected the dots or not. In one of the other ones we did, which was around trade shows, we did uh, run we actually, we actually ran our logo, just our logo at our target accounts for like two weeks ahead of a trade show because we in this particular vertical, we were fairly small and not very well known. And we wanted to convey a larger presence in the market. And so we ran, we just ran the logo and part of, and I we, I didn't even really want them to click on it. I just wanted to, I just wanted to be present. And, and for the audience when we did this, and it's very cheap to do this. And, um, and then coming back from that show uh, versus uh, the prior show where we didn't do it, the sales guys, um, a couple of them particularly reported absolutely that people had commented, "Hey, I've been seeing you everywhere." And one guy, one anecdotal, was one of our guys got on a plane and had his phononic shirt on, and somebody else on the plane was like, "Hey, I've been seeing you everywhere. Uh, let's meet." And that actually happened, and so um, so we were. I, I do. That, those kinds of stories definitely tell me that, uh, that having your message present in front of your audience um, in a meaningful way over time lifts their awareness of your brand and their likelihood of engaging with you. Uh, but I, but in the context of the calling, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get a feel for that specifically.
2: You know, I kind of, one thing I love about this too, is that um, some of digital almost pulls people away from, uh, some of that early magic of traditional marketing, mm. where you kind of look at, okay, we know we get frequency. Uh, you know, we get a message in front of somebody X number of times, and then, we'll, you know, and in some ways, you're you're almost you're speaking back to that a little bit, um, but in a trackable, measurable yeah. way. We're coming back a bit to the art of marketing, yeah, rather than simply the science of it, but with the science lens applied. It's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Does that make sense, Daniel? Or do you think I'm?
3: Well, that's it's it's funny that you you say that because I, I tell people uh, all the time a lot of times marketers will say how is account base any different from what I've always been doing I've always been you know cognizant of who I'm talking to and what I'm saying and and things like that. And I usually say there isn't really a difference fundamentally. Good marketing is fundamentally good marketing. The difference is in the technology. The difference is in the degree of resolution you get in that tracking, the degree of resolution you get in the targeting that's now available that wasn't available before. And then, you know, maybe not for everyone, the, the systems and processes to align with the rest of your business to have a whole, more holistic view of what's going on in this account, what matters to this account what story do i need to tell this account to convert this account and doing that not just from marketing's perspective but from the broader organization's perspective so yeah it's not uh, i i agree with you that a lot of this is just good marketing but the the approach is just much more refined in terms of the targeting and and the storytelling
2: Daniel, i really thank you for for sharing this approach and framework with our, with our listeners i think uh, they'll be really interested to uh, to hear it and uh, as excited as I am frankly i think it's been a great uh, a great exploration I wonder uh you know two years into your masters of um, ABM um, uh, any kind of Anything you wish you knew two years ago uh, that you know now that you wish to share with our listeners?
3: Yeah, um, there. I guess there are two two things that come to mind immediately. Um, number one is um, take the time to understand that ABM is is a truly different. Approach. It, it's 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 a business. It's a change in the way your business operates. And there's a lot of good reading out there. There's a lot of bad reading out there too. Honestly, in my opinion, but there's a lot of good reading out there. And my favorite my favorite book on it is actually ABM is B two B, and it it really opens your eyes to how it's just a different approach and how you organize your planning for the campaigning and and execution. And um, so, I definitely take the time to educate yourself on that and understand how it's different and the second one which i don't know that this is necessarily abm specific but uh marketing marketing can never be successful without partnering with sales i mean it just it just can't be uh from a demand gen perspective most definitely at the end of the day it doesn't matter how awesome your campaign is if 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 there's a disconnect and in, in, with your with your sales team and in the context of abm i think it's important especially out the gate to understand that and at least in my experience, especially working for large manufacturers, these sales teams have been around for a long time, and the marketing org has been dumping bad leads on them for a long time. And there's a lot of people out there who are really jaded about the quality of leads they've been receiving. And ABM is a totally different approach. So you have to take the time to build the bridge with the sales partner that this is a different thing, but also take the time to understand what problems they actually have that they actually w- needs solved by abm back to the whole you know i don't have a problem engaging this department but i never get this department you know or i i don't have a problem with this geographical location it's that geographic location you know take the time to understand where you can apply abm to solve the problems that they have today don't just jump in with abm and expect expect uh, the sales team to be super excited about it you have to really empathize and understand their perspective and apply and then build Build a relationship, and uh, and then go from there. That's that's my personal opinion.
2: That, that's terrific advice, Daniel. That uh, those early days of riding around with the salespeople, I think, uh, stick with you, as you said. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, thank you so much for sharing your your expertise. It's been uh, great to have you on the show. Yeah,
3: thanks for having me. Glad to be here. All the best. All right, thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to the Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash the cooler ring. That's K U L A Partners.com slash the cooler ring.